Only 4% of universities in the U.S. are R1 research institutions, and Temple University is one of them. This means 100% of students have the opportunity to participate in hands-on learning and research with world-class faculty. With over 600 academic programs across 17 schools and colleges, Philadelphia's largest public university provides students with a rich variety of opportunities and propels graduates to succeed in their careers. Temple University. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu. visit What's going on, everybody? Thank you so much for joining me for this Thursday edition of Fantasy MLB Today. My name is Joe Orico, and I am your host. You guys can hit me up over on Twitter at JoeOrico99. All my fantasy baseball content goes out over there as well as at Sports Ethos. Before we really get started today, please rate and review the show if you guys have enjoyed what you've heard so far. I want to get us more back on track today now that the dust has settled from the trade deadline. We'll still talk a little bit about some of those trades now that I've had the, the chance to digest them a little bit and really look into them. We'll talk about some of the bigger ones, but I do want to get back to what we, what we do every day here, which is look back at the top performers from yesterday. We take a look at the waiver wire. We look at pitching matchups. So that's what we're going to be doing for the, for the big majority of our show. I do want to touch on these trades briefly. I know all of the content this week has been about trades, so I don't want to just talk about that, but I think you do need to talk about a couple of these moves here. And Obviously, Juan Soto, we've talked about it to death on the live show that I did the other day. We talked about it for a lot of the day because it was obviously massive news, very important. We weren't really sure if he was going to get traded leading up to the deadline. You hear all kinds of rumors. You don't really know how serious a team is. And when we first saw that return, the original return, I forget if it was Hassel and Wood and one other piece for Soto and Bell. And we were just like, that's, that's terrible. Everybody collectively said they got absolutely hosed. They could have got literally a better haul from any team in baseball at that point. And then, of course, more news started to trickle in, Mackenzie Gore and C.J. Abrams. And then it made a little bit more sense. I guess we shouldn't really be surprised that they moved Juan Soto, even though it's still a massive surprise. A player of this caliber at this age, it doesn't happen. It, it just doesn't happen really in sports that often. I mean, you might see it every now and again in hockey. Occasionally in football, you'll see a guy who's coming off his rookie deal and doesn't re-sign. But when you're talking about a guy who is going to the Hall of Fame, like Juan Soto, assuming he stays healthy, he is a Hall of Famer. This kind of move really caught me off guard. Uh, I talked about it on a few different shows these last couple of weeks that I said, it's not happening. I don't see it happening in these next couple of weeks. I think if it was going to happen, but personally, I thought it was going to happen in the offseason when they have a little bit more time. There's no you know, made-up deadline, really, because it's, it's, it's a deadline, but if you don't trade him, he'd still be on the team today. You could have worked something out in the offseason. I think teams are going to pay a, probably a similar price there. Now, seeing the return they got back, it's not such a worry because it looks like it's about as good as they possibly could have had it. I was worried that you know it would get to 4 or 5 o'clock, approaching the deadline. The Nationals would just take whatever kind of deal. They took a good deal. They took a, a good as you're probably going to find. Uh, the Padres system is completely empty. When you look at that trade and you look at the Josh, tra Josh Hader trade, 
they got nothing really going on there. So they better hope that Juan Soto resigns. If Juan Soto doesn't resign, you could make the argument that if they win, then it wouldn't be such a big deal to them. Let's say they win a World Series this year or next year. I think it would still hurt, but it, maybe it wouldn't hurt quite as much. They're all in right now. That's why they made the Josh Hader trade as well. That's why they brought in Brandon Drury. We were talking on that trade deadline show about maybe they would bolster their catcher position because it's one of their few, not even weak spots because Alfaro's been solid enough, but we thought they were going to bring in Wilson Contreras there for a little while and just you know go for every top available piece. It didn't happen. Regardless, it's pretty hard to look at the Padres as anything other than the biggest winners of the day. Let's talk a little bit about the Yankees and their moves. So Frankie Montes and Lou Trevino, that was the first big domino that fell for them. I like it and I don't like it at the same time. So Frankie Montes, he's going to a ballpark that is much more hitter friendly, much more hitter friendly. He doesn't have those friendly confines and you know now he's in the American League East. So I don't really like it from that point of view. Now, when you look at it from the perspective of he's going to be winning more games, that I like. But it is a give and a take here. Uh, he's going to probably win more games. At this point of the season, he has four. He has four victories. It's disgusting for a guy with a 3.18 ERA. So you'll absolutely take that boost. But is he going to start to give up a few more home runs, perhaps? It's possible. It's really possible. So I like it, but... For fantasy, I would have hoped that he would have gone to like a Minnesota or a St. Louis or something where he'd still get a uh, bump from the lineup around him, but it wouldn't really hurt him so much uh, when you're talking about the stadium that he plays in. The other trade that they made, the Yankees, of really significant value, was trading Jordan Montgomery in exchange for Harrison Bader. It's not a massive trade, but it's big enough. Jordan Montgomery, I think, has been really undervalued this season. And a lot of it is because his lineup has not really helped him out. Whenever he takes the hill, he gets no run support. I think he has three wins. He needed to change his scenery. I'm all for that. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm very happy that he is in St. Louis there from, for his fantasy value. I don't think it'll make a massive difference, but he needed to have some kind of variable change there in terms of the lineup or something. So this is, I'm glad that there's something going to be tinkered with here. Harrison Bader coming back the other way. He has plantar fasciitis. He's expected to come back before the end of the season, but it's kind of a curious move for the Yankees here. Like, let's say Bader comes back. He's another outfielder. Do they really need another outfielder? I would rather have had the pitching depth personally, have an extra left-hander. Uh, I don't know. That seems like it would come into more use in the playoffs than someone who's probably going to be a bench bat who might have some foot problems, someone who... You know, he thrives off of his speed, Harrison Bader. If he's having bad foot problems, that might hinder him from running and might hinder his defense. I don't really know. This is this doesn't feel like a win-now move for me for the Yankees. This feels like a... I don't know what it is. Obviously, the Yankees are in win-now mode. It just feels like a, a why. Why even bother doing this kind of trade here? I, it doesn't make a, a ton of sense to me. I would have rather kept Montgomery, but from a fantasy perspective... Very happy that Montgomery is away from the Yankees because it wasn't working out there for fantasy for whatever reason. It's unfortunate, but let's talk about a couple relief pitchers here. So Rizel Iglesias going to the Braves. That pretty much kills his fantasy value, and it might kill Kenley Jansen's value as well, depending on how they get used here. I don't know that there's been any announcement about who is going to be the closer. I think it'll probably still be Kenley Jansen. It's not good. I hate when this happens. This happened to me last year at the deadline. I had closers get moved around all over the place, and they lose value. And 
Iglesias is definitely not one of the winners of the day, certainly from a fantasy perspective. From a real baseball perspective, sure, you're pitching for the Braves, much better team. You're away from that god-awful organization that you were with. But the saves are going to be hard to come by. They are really going to be hard to come by for him. I don't know if there's going to be some kind of a platoon with Kenley Jansen or if it'll just be matchup or I don't know. I, I really don't know. When he was asked about it, Brian Snitker said, Kenley Jansen's the primary closer. Rizal Iglesias is the secondary closer. What the hell does that mean? Like, does that mean 75% for Jansen, 60%, uh, like 90%? Well, it's hard to really say from a fantasy perspective. I know that Iglesias has been dropped by quite a few people. It's probably the right move. Uh, I mean, you, you should probably be proactive on something like that. Last year, I kind of waited before dropping guys like Jimmy Garcia and Diego Castillo and you know, never dropped Craig Kimbrell because he was Craig Kimbrell and that name value, it's just, I don't know, it plays with your head. I think that Iglesias can probably be moved on from in shallower formats. If you're talking deeper leagues where you just need to have hope for saves slash holds, then yeah, I would still hold on. But if you're talking like a 10-team league, a standard category 10-team league, I think that you're probably going to be able to find a couple of better options out there than Iglesias. He's, he's pretty iffy to me at this point. It sucks when you lose a closer to value like that, but the good news is a couple of other closers who were traded actually are going to have you know probably the same, if not greater, value. So the first one is Jorge Lopez. He now is with the Twins. He got a save last night. He was a terrible, terrible starter, Jorge Lopez, for his career. Now he has really found himself this season as a closer. He's got 20 saves, 55 strikeouts, and 49 innings, a 164 ERA. I was worried before the deadline that if Lopez goes to a team that already has an established closer, let's say a Mets, or my example I used a week ago was the Brewers, but not so much anymore, or like the Blue Jays, or a team that really has the ninth inning locked down, then I worried it would be the same thing from last year with Garcia and Kimbrell and Castillo. But he's going to a place where they really don't have a solid ninth inning guy. Pagan has bounced in and out of that role. Johan Duran is actually really good, I think, and he could serve as a closer. But they wanted to bolster the pen for the stretch run here. They also added Michael Fulmer. So they're trying to give themselves a little bit more depth. I understand it. Lopez should be the primary closer there. Great move for his fantasy value. Great move. He should be able to get some more saves than he would have had in Baltimore just because you're pitching for a better team. Weaker division. I'm all for this trade. David Robertson is the other closer who I was anticipating having to drop for the same reasons. I thought he'd go to a team that already had the ninth inning taken care of and there wouldn't really be much room for him. But he also had a save yesterday against Atlanta. He is a firm hold. Some people were dropping him last week. I saw it in different fab uh, screenshots from the NFBC. Some people dropped David Robertson proactively, which I was not really opposed to thinking last week like he was for sure going to get traded. We all knew David Robertson was going to be traded. It was just a matter of where and what kind of role he would have. And he's going to slide into the ninth inning there in Philly. Now, Sir Anthony Dominguez, Brad Hand, are they going to get the odd chance? Is Brad Hand maybe going to get the uh, the chance if there's, you know, three lefties coming up? Possibly, yeah. But David Robertson should get the majority of the save opportunities here. His value just gets bumped up a touch. It doesn't move like a crazy amount, but you're playing for a better team. There should be some more save opportunities. So kudos to Robertson and his managers. If you dropped him last week, it really hurts right now, I'm sure. But 
Go pick up Rowan Wick or go pick up Felix Batista, somebody who's going to be in a full-time closer role now, and it shouldn't stink quite as badly. Let's talk about Tyler Molly because I think this is one of the more important moves that happened at the deadline. When I was on the other day, we asked just about, I think we asked all the panelists more or less about their favorite move at the deadline or their most impactful move at the deadline. The vast majority said that their favorite move was Tyler Molly going to the Twins. I love it. I absolutely love it. As someone who has him all over the place, he gets away from that terrible ballpark. He gets a better lineup around him, hopefully get him some more wins. He's looked a lot better in the second half of the year as well. So this is a great move for Tyler Molly. I would be buying everywhere, absolutely everywhere. The price shouldn't be too high because you know a lot of people are still going to look at his season numbers, which aren't terrible, but his ERA right now, 4.40, eh, five wins, not great. It's not his fault. He's been playing for a horrible team at a horrible ballpark. Go out there and get him. Trey Mancini, now in Houston. This one was personally, I think, might have been my favorite move of the deadline. And you really felt for Orioles fans and for Mancini having to having to, you know, split apart from each other there. He's a very easy player to cheer for. Coming back from cancer, he did an incredible job. I think he had 20 home runs, drove in 70 RBIs last season. He was incredible. No question, and it's got to be hard for that Orioles fan base. But at the same time, this is a great move for his fantasy value. He gets that short porch, and I think it was the first game uh, he hit a home run that would not have been a home run in Baltimore. It was in Houston. This is uh, fantastic for his fantasy value. He's still available in way too many leagues. I'd be adding Trey Mancini everywhere. He can play first. He can play in the outfield. So he's not beholden to just you know platooning with Yuli Gurriel or something. They can stick him around. They can DH him. He should be playing at least, I'd say, six out of seven days in the week. Uh, absolutely go ahead and grab Mancini if you can. Must roster player here down the stretch. My Blue Jays acquired Whit Merrifield, which I thought was kind of interesting. If he doesn't get vaccinated, it's a garbage, stupid move. Because from what I understand of the border laws, if you don't have a vaccine, you can't cross. So he could either play all the Toronto games, or actually he can't even come into Canada. So he'd have to just play the American games. I, I don't see why we would have got him without at least the assurance that he is going to get vaccinated. Playoff series, Toronto is going to have to cross the border multiple times. I don't understand why we would make the move if that wasn't on the table. So I'm not worried about him from that perspective. I think that that's going to happen. The Jays said something like they're going to let him decide with his family and this move happened right at the 11th hour and it wasn't really time to go over this stuff beforehand. I think that's something that's pretty important to know what you're going to do. They didn't really give up much for him. He's a couple of lower-level guys. But still, if you're going to acquire someone at the deadline for what is hopefully going to be a playoff run, you want him there every single game. I'd rather have gotten a slightly lesser player from a different destination who is fully vaccinated if that's going to be the discrepancy here. If, if Merrifield's only going to be able to play in the States which I still doubt, I don't even want him at that point. It's like, do you even want somebody who's going to just be a part-time guy who's already declined a lot? He's going to be probably batting eighth in your lineup. Just, I don't know, it feels strange. Sure, it's a little bit of depth, I guess, if they'd go that route. I expect him to get vaccinated, and he'll have a little bit of a boost in fantasy value, assuming he is playing every single day in that lineup as opposed to in Kansas City. That would be what I expect. Again, if, I, if he doesn't get vaccinated... I'd be really surprised in Blue Jays management. Someone's going to be in trouble. I don't think anybody's going to get fired or anything, but somebody is going to have to answer for why 
Why did you guys do this? Why did you acquire him when he can't even really play for us? It is a question that I am thinking of. I don't know. I don't know really why Whit Merrifield was the guy we went for to begin with. A right-handed hitter. We don't need that. Second base slash outfielder. Okay, it's it's useful enough. What we needed was another impact starting pitcher and a left-handed bat. Didn't really do that. We got some relief arms from Florida or from from Miami. And we got Whit Merrifield. Um, it's, it's an all right trade deadline for the Jays. Merrifield, from a fantasy point of view, he has to be there every day to have value. He can't be a part-time player and have value. It's already been tough enough as it is this season with Merrifield. But if he's only playing three games a week, oh, it's going to be really hard down the stretch. So fingers crossed as a Jays fan and as a fantasy manager that he does, in fact, get the vaccine. Those were definitely the most impactful deadline moves, I think. Overall, from a fantasy perspective, I don't know that it's going to really change things that much. It does open up some opportunities for players here and there. And we'll talk about in a few minutes about the most added and dropped players. And some of those guys are because of moves that were made at the deadline. Some of them are just hot or cold, and that's why they're being dropped. But I don't think that this deadline really had... That you know, you don't have to go to your fantasy team and make like five ads and drops afterwards. I think mostly the status quo remained intact. If you are a manager, a fantasy manager of one of these big names that got moved, for the most part, nothing really changed for you. You're a bit happier if you're rostering Juan Soto or Josh Bell because they're in better lineups now. Tyler Molly is the same thing. More so, you're just either happy or disappointed with how your team went. But nothing really changes so much, I don't think, in the fantasy landscape. That's it. I'm done talking about it. I've talked about it way too much now. We've spent a long time before the deadline. And it really directed a lot of content just talking about the trade deadline. What you wrote your articles about, your podcast. So, it's behind us. It was fun and exciting. But let's go back to what we usually do, which is breaking down the previous day, looking ahead to tomorrow and overall the rest of the week. So, yesterday, the 12 highest scoring players in points leagues on Yahoo were all pitchers. It's not uncommon to see a lot of pitchers at the top, and usually the top one or two names are pitchers. But going back to previous days, just as an example, you see like the top two are pitchers, and the top four are pitchers, the top three, the top two. Yesterday, we had the top 12 scoring players were all pitchers. Really impressive stuff. It's good to see pitchers performing well. I mean, obviously, on the other side, that means lineups didn't do as well. One of my teams went one for 24 yesterday, but this is what happens when you see this many players or this many pitchers scoring high. So we'll briefly go through these guys. Jose Urquidy, seven innings, 10 strikeouts, two hits against Boston. I'm not really sold based on what he's done advanced metric-wise. I would be looking to trade Jose Urquidy. This is a great opportunity 10 strikeouts. It's not in his nature. 114 innings. He has 90 strikeouts. The best thing about Arquiti is the team he pitches for, and he's been on a really good run recently. I'd be trying to move on from him if you can. Blake Snell, he went six innings. He struck out nine, gave up one earned run, and four hits. He's really calmed down here over this last month, and he's someone that you can buy into a little bit more than like an Arquiti because of the strikeouts. His team also got quite a bit better. Not that Arquiti's team is not any good, but San Diego should be winning quite a few ball games going forward, especially if Snell keeps this up. It's three straight outings where he's allowed one or zero runs. Before that, there was one where he allowed five earned runs and six walks. It was a nightmare against Colorado, but it was at Coors, and before that, it was solid stuff as well. So 
overall, he's trending upwards. I really like what Blake Snell has done here recently. Zach Wheeler had himself a really good start against Atlanta. Seven innings, seven strikeouts, one earned run, and five hits. His ERA for the season is actually lower than what he had last year, and I think he was the Cy Young runner-up last season. He's got a 2.69 ERA, 10 victories. He has 129 strikeouts in 120 innings, which is actually not the same exact pace he was on last year. Slightly lower. Still, overall, he is one of the best pitchers in baseball. He took care of a good lineup last night, so you got to tip your hat there. Here's where we start to get a little bit interesting. Lance Lynn, six solid innings, eight strikeouts, one earned run against Kansas City, but he's been really horrendous since he's come back. Even with that outing, the ERA is at 587. So he's been a little bit better over these last few times out. There was a bit of a stinker against Oakland mixed in there, but he seems to be turning the corner here as do the White Sox in general. Very disappointing season for the White Sox, but I think we'll see a much better second half from guys like Lynn, Giolito. Oh, they have Yasmany Grandal back. So I'm, I'm fairly confident that we'll see a much better version than we have so far out of guys, especially about, out of Lance Lynn, but also Lucas Giolito applies there as well. Sandy Alcantara threw a complete game against Cincinnati. Nine innings, six hits, zero earned runs, one walk. The surprising thing was that he only struck out three over nine innings. That was a little curious here against the Cincinnati lineup that's not exactly setting, uh, setting records here. You'd hope for a little bit more. It's one of the reasons why I've been a little bit worried. Even despite this, I'll, I'll stick to my guns. He needs to go really deep into games, and he does go really deep into games. But he's at 158 innings. The strikeout numbers are not the greatest, 141 of them in 158 innings. Yes, the ERA and the whip are spectacular. I just worry about those last few starts, especially once Miami gets really out of contention for anything. Are the Marlins going to let him go nine innings at the end of September when there's no playoffs on the line? I don't think so. If he's not going deep into games, then he's not going to be racking up strikeouts. And even he showed us last night, he can go deep into games and not rack up strikeouts. I'm more than a little worried about what's going to happen those last two or three weeks of the fantasy season once Miami officially fully throws in the towel. Right now, they're 48-57. and 57. They're 18 back of the division, and they are currently eight and a half back of the wild card. I think, I hope they know that they're not playing for anything this year. There's absolutely no point in killing Alcantara every time out. Is he just more durable than everybody else? Maybe. But do you guys really want to find out? Like, in a year where you're not competing for anything, you got a 26-year-old stud who might win the Cy Young. It's possible. It's kind of likely, honestly, I think it'll be him or Corbin Burns, but I don't really think that we're going to see Alcantara continue to throw eight, seven, nine, eight innings going down the stretch here. It's, we saw it these last couple of times out, six innings and five innings. They weren't the strongest outings. He struggled with control a little bit. Strikeouts have been overall a little bit down. Uh, yes, there's still 10s and 12s and 10 games mixed in there in terms of strikeout numbers, but there's also two and four and three and five. So I'm not sold on the consistency we're going to see and, you know, the fact that he'll go deep into games like we need to see from him for him to have that kind of fantasy value. If you're still in a trading league and you can still trade him, I would try and trade him for another first-round talent. You're not just giving him away, but if you're trading him and getting back like Shane McClanahan, I would do that in a half a second. I would much rather have Shane McClanahan. The Rays have been much smarter with how they've used McClanahan, haven't pushed him so much, and he will end up going deeper into the season, I think, than Sandy Alcantara. One reason is that his team is actually going to be competing for a playoff spot. That's the main reason. But the Braves, or excuse me, the Rays have also been quite a bit smarter than Alcantara with his innings. He's had 122 innings. 
for the season. <laughs> like, you're looking at a 40-inning difference between the two best pitchers in their respective leagues this season. I'll take the guy with the less mileage who gets more strikeouts. Personally, if you can pull off that kind of trade, I'd be all for it. Charlie Morton, he went six and two-thirds, three hits, one walk, eight strikeouts. His second half, well, really it started before the second half, but he's really turned around his season. Strikeout numbers, fantastic. Everything, all systems go here with Charlie Morton. No worries. Joe Ryan, he had himself a pretty good outing, and it's been a little rough for Joe Ryan, especially his last time out. He gave up 10 earned runs, 8 hits, 2 walks. Not great. Really not great stuff out of Joe Ryan. The ERA is up to 3.67, but still, uh, he took care of a Tigers team last night that he needed to take care of in order to you know, save a little bit of face. So good job for Joe Ryan. Unfortunately, his next start will be coming at Dodger Stadium. So... A little bit risky there to start him. I would, as of right now, I'd lean probably towards a sit. Shane Bieber had himself a really good night. Six innings, eight strikeouts, two earned runs, and four hits allowed. You know, I was worried a little bit coming into the year, and it's been some shoulder trouble with him, and you never want to see shoulder trouble with anybody, but of course not with a pitcher. He's not an elite strikeout pitcher anymore, but he can still eat innings for you. He still, you know, he can still get you seven, eight strikeouts, but he's not that same guy we saw in 2020 anymore, unfortunately. You'd think that Shane Bieber would be a lot older than he actually is. He looks like he's older, and you'd expect just, I don't know, from his body type. I don't know. There's something that seems older about Shane Bieber than he actually is. He's 27 years old. Maybe it's because of the injuries. You'd look at him, and you think, hey, I think he's like 30 years old or something. Like That's your initial reaction looking at Shane Bieber if you don't really know. 27 years old. It's kind of worrying that he's already got so many troubles at this point in his career. But if he can adapt and just be a guy who's not really such a high velo guy, Working his off speeds, still go deep into games. I, st I think he can still be a very valuable fantasy asset, and he has been this season. Despite not really a ton of strikeouts or wins, he's still been there for you. Julio Urias, six innings, six strikeouts, seven hits. Fantastic stuff out of him again. His ERA is lower than it was last season, even though last year it was under three. He's got a 2.57 ERA, 109 strikeouts in 115 innings, and a sub one whip. Fantastic stuff out of Urias. He pitches for still what I think is probably the best team in baseball. Is he going to get those 20 wins like he had last year? No, but I think 16. Uh, I would say 16 is pretty likely. Get you 36 wins over two seasons. That would be remarkable for Urias. But he did exactly what you would hope he would last night against San Fran. Martin Perez kept it going. I don't understand Martin Perez for the life of me. He went six innings, struck out nine. One earned run, three walks, and five hits. The walks have been a little bit of an issue for him. It's usually two or three, even sometimes as many as four walks in a game, but the strikeouts have been there. He doesn't really allow runs. He's just been, overall, one of the, one of the more solid pitchers in all of baseball this season. I hesitated for a second there before saying it, but it's true. His ERA is 2.47. The whip is 1.16. Nine victories, 116 strikeouts in 131 innings. It's not going to blow you away with those strikeouts, but over the last month, 31 innings, 35 strikeouts, getting a little bit better there. I would like to see him work on those walks, but it's hard to complain about what he's been able to do for you this season. Even with the walks not really being there, the whip is still at 1.16. So will he keep this up? It's hard to say. It'll be one day where he has a horrible start and it's just gone. Uh, he'll turn back into a pumpkin. I think that that will happen eventually, whether it's this year or maybe beginning of next year once he gets a, a contract. I don't know. I don't think we're going to see this for the rest of his career, though. This is like a miracle territory here for Martin Perez. Luis Castillo, he had a really solid debut, defeating the Yankees. He went six and two-thirds, five hits, three earned runs, three walks, and eight strikeouts. 
The three walks, not great. It's overall a very good outing for him, though. It's something we can expect to see more of going forward here. He took care of the Yankees in New York. That's very impressive. Yes, three earned runs. Okay, he's still got the victory. You'd obviously not like to see him walk guys at that rate, and he's been kind of hit or miss. You know, there's been several games this year where he has one walk or zero, and there's also been games where he has three or four. So you'd like to see that stay in the one to two range, similarly to Perez, but this is a great acquisition by the Mariners. I personally have no shares this year. You guys have heard the stories from last year. But for those of you who have Luis Castillo, you should be very happy. Similarly to if you have Tyler Molly, it's that same kind of situation. The last of those 12 pitchers that I mentioned, Chris Bassett. So he went seven innings, struck out four, gave up one walk, and six hits. He got the victory. He's been very solid this season for the Mets. 122 innings, 121 strikeouts, 361 ERA. Uh, that Mets rotation is ridiculous. Now with DeGrom back, you got Bassett as, is he the three guy? I guess he would be the three guy. Uh, it's hard to order them once you get out of the DeGrom and Scherzer duo. I don't even know, actually, how I would place them. Would it be, I think it would be Bassett three and then probably Carrasco four, Walker five, or no, probably probably Walker four, Carrasco five. That's tough, man. Like, that's a good problem to have. Plus, they got Tyler McGill, who will be coming back. They got David Peterson as well. So, really, really fantastic depth for the Mets. They didn't really do much at the deadline. I thought that they would make more splashy moves, um, not pitching-wise, but in the bullpen. I thought they might add an arm or two. And I think they added Michael Givens, actually. So, that's something there. But I thought there would be something bigger than, you know, a J.D. Davis and Darren Ruff exchange. I don't know. I think the Mets are still fine, but I was really expecting a big move out of them there. If not a Soto trade that we'd kind of, you know, they weren't really so connected to Soto, but I thought like Wilson Contreras at least, I thought they'd go for some kind of upgrade in the lineup there, but they seem to know what they're doing. They do have a history of flopping closer to the end of the season, so we'll see what they can do. But those were the pitchers who really dominated last night, the top 12 of them. Jose Arquiti at the top of them there, I would say try and sell him if you can. That would be what I would leave you with. And be buying uh, on Lance Lynn. You know, I think Lance Lynn has gotten a bad rap. Missing most of the year and then coming back is not easy. He's starting to get into the groove of things here. I would be buying him and selling Arquiti. Let's get into the waiver wire portion of the show now. We'll just go over the most added and dropped players over the last 24 hours or so. Jose Quintana has been added in almost 10,000 leagues. Now, I understand the appeal there. There's not tons of starters who are widely available. He's now gone from a shit team to a good team, so there'll be probably more win opportunities. But Quintana, as a whole, he's not a great strikeout guy. He can give you some decent ratios. I see him as more of a 15s, yes, absolutely in 15s, and then in 12s is more of a streaming option. And today I think is a good option to be streaming him against the Cubbies. I don't think that he's going to have must-roster uh, kind of production for you. But I think that he works best as a streamer in 12s, uh, a must roster in 15s. That's where I currently see him. Jansen Junk will be starting today against Oakland. And yes, Jansen Junk is one of the coolest names you're ever going to see. I think there's some better streaming options available today, to be honest with you. Yes, it's a great lineup. Yes, he did a, a great lineup. It's a great lineup to put him out there against. Uh, definitely not a great lineup. Uh, he did very well in his first start, which was also against a pretty poor team in Kansas City there striking out eight over five innings. I think he's okay. I just think there's some better options that we'll get to here in a minute. 
And why don't I just talk about them now? I was going to go in order here, but I'll just talk about some guys who I think I'm a little bit more confident in. So Jeffrey Springs gets Detroit today. Yes, he has not been so great recently, but he has been pretty solid as a whole for the year, a 270 ERA in 73 innings. Some overperforming for sure, but it's, it's a pretty safe matchup there against Detroit. Nick Pavetta gets Kansas City, and this one makes me nervous because Nick Pavetta has had a horrible month. Like, just he's been awful recently. He's not this bad, though. He's really not. He gets a really good matchup here against Kansas City. It's a contrarian play for sure, but he's someone that I would be looking into. Johnny Cueto as well. He gets Texas tonight. He's continued to be really solid this season. He's just over 50% rostered. Not going to give you a lot of strikeouts, but he's been giving you wins with good ratios. Gets a good line, uh, good matchup tonight. So I would be okay with Cueto. I'd be okay with any of those guys really over Jansen Junk. I'll just take the guys who have done it for a little bit longer personally if there's a choice there. And there is a choice today. There are some guys who are still pretty widely available that you can go and add. So that is who I would be looking at there. In terms of some relievers who are being added, namely, it is Felix Batista. Felix Batista, who is now the closer in Baltimore. He did give up a run last night while striking out three. He is a must-roster player at this point. He is absolutely needs to be on rosters. Will Crow is the next guy who's really being added, and it's because David Bednar is now on the IL. So he is a short-term, uh, hopefully a short-term stopgap here. Bednar has a back injury. I think they, they don't expect it to be too serious, I don't think. Um, nothing that I'm seeing here that would indicate it's going to be like keeping him out for the year or anything like that. I think that Will Crow is a decent little interim ad here. He's not going to be someone who helps you out for probably more than a week or so, but... He's only 12% rostered right now. There's a decent chance he'll be able to give you one or two saves over the next week. Uh, Ledmus Diaz is still being added quite a bit. He's done a pretty good job, and recently he's been doing a really good job. When you look at him as a whole, though, uh, he bats fairly low in that lineup most of the time. I know he's batting four a couple times. They usually they mix up their lineup, but typically he's in the bottom third. Doesn't give you any speed, not the greatest average. And yes, recently he's been hitting for a high average, but that's not something we can really expect going forward here. I'm not sold on him outside of the fact that he's eligible, like literally everywhere. He's eligible first, second, third, short, and in the outfield. So that would be a major selling point for me, more so than the production, just to have a guy who you can sneak in there when one of your regulars has a day off. Let's get into some drops now. So Brady Singer leads the way. He's been dropped by about 4,000 managers today. I would be holding on still. He had a rough start yesterday against Chicago, but he has shown improvement steadily over the last month or so. So I wouldn't be giving up on him just because of one bad start there. Ramon Urias, people are really giving up on Ramon Urias. Over the last couple of weeks, he has started to fall back down to earth. That's okay. He was an ad for a while there, but you know you rotate that spot in your lineup and you go grab somebody who can be a little bit more of an asset to you right now. So it was probably never going to be a long-term play, and that's okay. You move on to the next hot thing. Another guy who has been dropped quite a bit, and quite understandably so, is Leody Tavares. Over the last couple of weeks, he's really started to cool off. He was a massive sell high for me a few weeks back because, you know, his BABIP was like 450. He was hitting everything. He was stealing. He hit a couple of home runs. It's been a rough going four for his last 25. Uh, 13 for his last 51, which isn't terrible, but just not really giving you those counting stats. Yusei Kikuchi's also been dropped quite a bit. I don't really know why he was added so much in the first place. There was some reports of the Toronto that he'd tinkered with some things, and now he was looking like a new man and all this. It was hard to believe when they were first saying it. He was all right in his outing yesterday. Four innings, he struck out five. He allowed two earned runs. 
nothing special from Kikuchi, which has been what we've seen from him all year. Uh, I don't think he needs to be rostered really anywhere. Unfortunately, another Blue Jay pitcher on the drop list today. Ross Stripling is on the injured list with a glute strain. He's not someone that you hold through an injury. He was pitching really well, so he was definitely an add there, but you can't hold him through something like this. He's got to be sent back to the wires, unfortunately. John Gray is another guy who really needs to be sent to the wires. It sucks because he had been so good as of late, really great strikeout numbers, really just looking confident. He's going to be out four to six weeks, which is essentially the rest of the fantasy season. He has to be dropped at this point. It sucks, but he has to be dropped. Let's go into my matchup of the night now. Nothing really that's going to knock you away, but Kyle Wright and Carlos Carrasco is probably the, the nicest matchup that we have going on here. So Wright is 13-4 and four with a 2.94 ERA. Carrasco 11-4, 3.79 ERA. Tough matchups in division matchups here that are going to be very important down the stretch to see who wins this division. I would be tuning into this one. It should be a lot of fun. Obviously, Carrasco is not the best starter they have over there, but for a lot of teams, he'd be like a you know a top three starter in their rotation, top two for some, maybe even the best pitcher on some teams, and he's like the fifth guy here in New York. Pretty funny stuff. Guys, that will do it for me. Thank you so much for checking out the show. If you haven't already, go listen back to the Trade Deadline coverage. They're all available as podcasts and also on YouTube. We were breaking stuff as it happened. You know, you get the instant analysis. Every panel had at least three guys on it, usually four. Go back, check it out. It was a hell of a lot of fun. Rate, review, subscribe, download, follow on Twitter at JoeOrico99 and also at EthosFantasyBB for all of our other baseball content. We're going to have some probably some more audio-visual stuff coming out soon. Just want to hint at it because I'm not 100% sure yet, but that should be something that we have coming in the works, and that'll all be out on the Ethos Fantasy BB feed as well. So follow me, follow them, download the show, subscribe, rate, review, do all that good stuff, and we will see you again tomorrow. Cheers, everybody. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.